we're in this series where we're, we, last week we talked about how we're using bread as a metaphor, but it's not really a series just about bread. It's a series about what Jesus did when he took bread into his hands. He, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. He gave it. And we're going to talk today about what it means when God blesses something. I believe that there's so much power in this. I believe that you, there, there may be someone here today who, who comes here and you have just heard and you've taken on a lot of this world's curses because there's a lot of negative stuff set out there. And you may have started to believe some of that stuff about you and you may be down about yourself or you may be struggling with all this. And I believe that the Lord wants to speak to you, that the Lord wants to, to lift you up, that our good, good father loves you and cares about you. And it is no accident my friend, that you are here today, and that God's word is for, for all of us, but especially for those who may, may be struggling with some of that. So we ask, what does it mean to be blessed? What, what, what does that even mean? You know, in, in our world today, the, it's a really familiar term. In fact, I looked this past week, I looked on Instagram, I searched for hashtag blessed, and if you search that, it's like you get about like 145 million different hits, right? We love saying that something is blessed, right? You search that, you will find all sorts of people dressed very nice, or you'll find some nice-looking lattes, or some nice-looking home remodels, or all this kind of stuff. Uh, the very first one I clicked on was kind of interesting. It's this guy here. You can't read these words too well, but you see he's there in Vegas, and he says, what a great trip. Big business deal in the cannabis industry closed. Spent 10 grand on shopping, spent two grand on food, made 25 grand gambling. Well, that might be more like hashtag lucky, but I'm not sure. Uh, then spent time with dope people. If, in case you're wondering, that's not a reference to the cannabis stuff. Okay, just clarify that. Uh, then I'll be back soon. Hashtag blessed. Now, that's a great example of what our world thinks blessed means. That it's like, take all the things that I like, that I'm successful about, that I would like to have a little humble brag moment about here, right? And say, blessed. Well, that, those things, you know, I mean, that, that's one way to look at it, but I believe that, that there's a bigger way. Although, I've got one more, and I think the Buckeye fans will especially appreciate this one. Beyond humbled and proud to announce I've been declined from the University of Michigan. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Some of you would feel exceptionally blessed to be denied by that university. Others, maybe not so much. But, but we've, we've taken this word and we've maybe misunderstood it a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about what it means in a biblical context. So we're going to go back, way back, like Genesis 1 back, right? Like back to the very beginning to look at what God means when he talks about blessing. Because these ways that we use the term, they're not all necessarily bad, but they're really kind of hints and shadows of what true blessing is really all about. So if we go way back here uh, to Genesis 1, it's a, it is a book, Genesis is a book that's written for very specific purposes. It's written to introduce God and God's relationship with the world, with all of creation. That's, that's what it's all about. Sometimes we get a little messed up on Genesis because we ask the wrong questions of it. Like in our modern sensibility, when we look at creation, we, we want to, you know, to say, okay, 
how did this all happen, right? You know, looking at it with our modern scientific lens, how did this all happen? Did God make this? And if so, how did God do it? The ancient people really weren't asking those questions. For them, they assumed it was divinely created. See, there were a number of creation stories in the ancient world. And for the ancient people, the question was, which God made all this? Like, which small g God made all of this? And why did this God make it? Because you see, when the ancients looked at divinity, they tended to, they believed in a whole variety of gods, kind of like local police departments, right? So like this God has jurisdiction over the land. This God has jurisdiction over the sea. This God has jurisdiction over fertility. This God has jurisdiction over rain, right? So depending what you want, you pray to that specific local God. Well, so, so, that, so we can understand this by looking at some of their stories. For example, if you look at the Egyptian story of creation, the gods created humans, but it was an accident, which is kind of funny when you think about it. They're like, whoops, what did we do? Oh, oh we've got all these humans. What are we going to do now? If you look at the Sumerian story, it was different than that. There were the, the big gods had some lesser gods, and the lesser gods were assigned to do the manual labor. The lesser gods got tired of doing the manual labor, so they created humans. So we could do all the manual labor for the gods, so that's why we would exist according to their story. Uh, but in the Babylonian story, it's even more interesting than that, because in that story, the gods are having, a, they get into this epic battle because some of the lesser gods are making too much noise. I'm not making this up. Some of the lesser gods are making too much noise, so some of the greater gods are unable to sleep. So they go to battle over this, and, so, and one of the gods gets cut in half. The blood runs into clay on the earth, and humans come out of that. Oops, look what we found. It's us. Surprise, here we are. So in the midst of those kind of stories, our God writes a very, very different story. A story, because those stories for all of us, they're not good news. We're either accidents or incidents or slaves. That's like the best we can be. That's not very good. But you see, in, in our story, in the Israelite story, in the story of the one true God, it's different. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not a bunch of gods, not an accident. One God creates all of it. He's not a limited power God, not just a local police department God. He's the God who's sovereign over all creation. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And this story create, continues through the sixth day of creation, where on each day God creates, God looks at it, and he says it is good. That word, is good, that word good is interesting. It can be translated in a variety of ways, but there's kind of an implication of, of beauty, that it's good, it's beautiful. This is how it should be. Not, oops, this was an accident, or oops, this was just an outcome from some divine battle. No, this was my design, and it is good. We jump to verse 27 on our favorite day of the week, the day that we were made. So God created human beings in his own image. Get that? Not just like the animals or the plants or anything else. No, made in God's image. 
he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry on the ground. So now we see the relationship between God and humans, and that is that God has created us in his image. We're unlike anything else in this creation. And God has blessed us, it says, that God intentionally blesses us. He creates us, and he puts us in charge. We're not just slaves here to do the grunt work. We are put as caretakers, of, as stewards of the creation. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them. This is our story. It's a whole different story than what the ancients were used to, than what they had explained. No, in our story, we believe in one sovereign God who intentionally creates and he blesses. Our God is unique. And you might be saying, okay, all right, well, big deal. Like, our God's superior to all those ancient gods. We knew that they weren't real. Anyways, what's the point? Well, we can easily fall into our own versions of those ancient misunderstandings. So a few ways our God is unique. First, there's only one God, only one God. The God of Israel is the supreme God. He has no rivals. He has no equals. There's nobody else like our God. He is the God of heaven and earth, the God of the entire universe. And it, this may seem simple, but it was hard for them to live out. Because you see, the Israelites would sometimes fall into temptation that they would, they would worship their God, but then they would see their neighbors worshiping other gods as well, like Baal, for example, the, the rain god, right? And say, you know what, we'll, we'll keep on worshiping our God, but we grow stuff, we need rain, so it would, be, it would probably be good if Baal was happy with us too, right? You know, we kind of want to do some both and, not either or, both and, right? So we'll worship our God, but we'll worship Baal as well, just so we're backed up in case, you know, in case there's some rain issues, we'll keep Baal happy as well, because no rain, we got a big problem, right? We'll just sync it up. It's not that big of a deal, but it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal because God calls that idolatry, it's sin. He hates it. It's, it's cheating on God. It's, it's taking the divine one true God and bringing in a fake idol that doesn't have any power whatsoever and saying, eh, we'll trust in both of these. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And we could say, oh, si silly Israelites, who would, who would ever do that, right? But if we look at ourselves we want to always sync things up as well. Like, yeah, I, I, I want to go with God's way and what God's word says and all that stuff, but I also want to make it just sync up with all the things the culture says, right? So what if we take a little bit of God's word and a little bit of culture and we sand the rough edges off and, and put them together like, it'll be fine, it's no big deal. But God and culture are not equals, just as God and Baal were not equals, our God is the one God, the true God, the supreme God, the God who's above all things, the God who's worthy. He and he alone is worthy of our praise. Second thing, God creates the world on purpose and with 
a purpose, on purpose and with a purpose. We're here because God called us into being. That's why we exist, plain and simple, that God wants a relationship with you. Think about that. The creator of the entire universe, the Bible says, knows your name, knows all the things about you, knows how many hairs are on your head, knows every intricate detail, more than you know yourself. That's the creator of the universe. He cares you about you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And that means that your life matters. Your life matters so much because our God doesn't make any mistakes. And you are created by our God. You have this good father who loves you, who created you. It's not just a thing he did a long time ago. No, he's actively engaged with his creation day in and day out. God created the world on purpose and with a purpose. And that leads us to the third thing. God blesses what God makes. God blesses what God makes. You see this throughout the story. He's not just a creator who makes and doesn't care. He's a creator who creates and who blesses it. He made it. He called it good. He called it beautiful. This is what our God does. And this changes our view of blessing now. Because you see, instead of just looking at blessing as like, oh, the temporary things of today are going well, I must be blessed, right? You know, like, I got a good grade on the test, I must be blessed, right? Or I'm having a good hair day, I must be blessed. Or I got a new job that's great, I must be blessed. Like, those are all, again, like shadows of God's true blessing. They're fine, they're not bad, but blessing is much deeper than that. Blessing is much, much deeper than that. Because you see, my friends, being blessed, it's not a status. Being blessed is a story. It's our story. It's a story that goes all the way back to the beginning. You're not just blessed if something goes right in your life today. Because guess what? You're going to have days where things don't go right. You're going to have days where things aren't so great. You know that. You've had them. Maybe you're having one today. Being blessed is not just a status It's a story. It's the story of our origin, of how we began and why. It's the story of our creator who loves us, who cares about us, who's there for us. It's that we are blessed by this God. It's a story of how we fell, we sinned, we messed up, but he didn't give up. Instead, he sent his son so that we could be saved. He sent Jesus so that we could be redeemed, that our God looks at us and sees us as so valuable that we were worthy of giving his life for that we could be redeemed. My friend, you are blessed. You are blessed. Maybe you've spent too much time listening to the world's talk. Maybe you've heard a lot of things said about you that are far from blessing. Maybe you've been insulted. Maybe you've been mocked. Maybe it goes back to to early childhood with parent stuff or with bully stuff or with people who've really harmed you, who've done wrong things. And we don't mean to, but we take in those things we kind of internalize and we let them define us and we let them limit us 
and, and we begin in time to live as if they're truth. And it's so tragic because we have this God, this good Father, this perfect heavenly Father who created us, who made us, who loves us perfectly. And yet we kind of get that stuff in the backseat as if it's old, like, historical kind of stuff. And, and we, we don't really think that much about that. Instead, we hear this stuff that other people are saying. And we, and we, and we recite it over and over I must be a loser. I must not be smart enough. I must not be good enough. I must not be pretty enough. I must not be as, as good at this other person. Or I must always be defined by that screw up, by that sin, by that shortcoming. We take on these words of curses that, that others have said about us. We've listened too much to the world's talk. But my friend, I want you to know that those things are lies. They're lies. Because our good Father loves you so much. He created you. He blessed you. He gave his life for you. That's how valuable that you are. That the Son of God would come, stretch out his arms, and die on a cross for you. That is incredible love. And it's so true. If you doubt this, just ask a woman named Hagar, and we find her also in Genesis. In Genesis 12, God had come to a man named Abram, later Abraham. Abraham was a powerful man. He was a wealthy man who God called and God blessed very richly. He would give him, uh, he would be ultimately the father of the Israelites, but not just the Israelites, because there was a woman named Hagar we see later in, in, in chapter 16, Hagar has been a, a slave of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so she was an Egyptian slave. So if you want to talk about like status in the ancient world, you have Abraham up here and Hagar all the way down here, right? Like Hagar is a female, which it wasn't right, but it was a very patriarchal society. And so women did not have many rights or privileges at all. On top of that, she was a foreigner. She was an outsider, which also didn't give you any rights or status. And finally, she was a slave, which probably meant that either her area had been conquered and she'd been hauled off as a slave, or maybe that her family had fallen on hard times and even sold her into slavery. Hagar is someone who seems to have no future. And God finds her at her lowest moment. Things have gotten bad around Abraham's house, so bad that she has left, and she has decided to um, run into the wilderness with no plan, no provisions. God finds her at this, this well where she's having a drink, perhaps her last. She's pregnant. She's scared. She's running away. And God finds her and calls her by name. Verse 7 the angel of the Lord, which a lot of people interpret this to mean be a reference to Jesus. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to shore. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? These were questions about her origin and destiny. Remember, God rewrites our origin and destiny when we look back to the beginning who we are, are, were created to be. And here God is about to rewrite Hagar's story as well. 
God told Hagar to go back to Abraham's house because that would be the place where ultimately she would be able to find provisions. God sent her back home so she wouldn't die in the wilderness. And then God blesses her big time. Verse 10, then God said, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Recognize that? That's the same thing he said to Abraham. I'm going to give you so many descendants, you're not going to be able to count them. They're going to be as numerable as like the stars in the sky, the sand on the beach. He gives this same blessing to Hagar, a person that the world had forgotten about, that the world had ignored, a person who was literally going out to die. God finds her. He sees her. Maybe you're here today and you associate more with Abraham. Maybe you associate more with Hagar. The fact is, God's blessing, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. And when Hagar understood this, it changed her life. She was in awe, for she had seen God. And she responds by doing something very interesting. She gives God a name. Verse 13, then Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who's spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. The God who sees me. That's our God today. Our God sees you. Hagar, he sees you. Person who's been mocked and bullied and put down, he sees you. The one that your ex said you were worthless, our God sees you. He loves you. He knows your value. The one who feels you have no hope, our God sees you, and he wants to restore hope in you this day. That's exactly what he wants to do. That when our God, when we receive the blessings of our God, when we understand that he created us good, that he created us and calls us to be his children, we understand that there's hope, there's, there's a future, there's, that life is not over, no, life is just beginning. Because you see, to be blessed is to be returned to our original origin and destiny. It's not simply to be restored, but restoried. God wants to rewrite your story. God wants to take that negative stuff, to put it away in the back, and to say, this is who you are, child of God. This is who you are. And I believe that one of the ways that God can start that process is by speaking, by receiving words of blessing. I really believe in the power of what we're doing this morning. This is not just a, with their kids. It's not just some annual thing we do just to check it off the list and send them back to school. We believe that there's power in blessing. I heard a story Pastor Mark shared with me this week about a guy named Henry Nowen. Henry is one of the most prolific spiritual writers of the last century. He was a Catholic priest who would become also a professor at some of the best-known universities in our country. He is someone who, whose books would impact millions. And in his, but in his final decade of life, it was incredible what Henry did. Here's a guy who could do anything he wants. He's made all the money he could imagine. He can do whatever he wants, been wildly successful, and he takes on a new job. He becomes a pastor at this little place in Canada that is a place for folks who have special needs, who have, and, and Henry becomes their pastor. And one day, 
a woman, Janet, comes up to Henry there, and she says, Henry, would, would you bless me? And it's kind of like right before church or whatever, right? And he goes into kind of that pastor automatic thing of drawing the, the, the cross on her forehead. And she goes, no, no, I, I don't want that. I want a real blessing. I want a real blessing. And Henry began to speak over her. She put her arms around him, put her head on the old man's chest. And he said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the good things you do to show us what a beautiful human being you are. I know you feel a little low these days, that there's some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God, and all the people who are here with you. After Henry finished, another hand goes up and says, I want a blessing too. <laughs> and I want a blessing too. And all around the room, Henry goes around giving out words of blessing. There's power in this. So I want to invite our prayer team to come forward.